I just feel so lonely. I wonder if she's ever going to text me back. So much. Why am I so anxious all the time? What should I have for dinner today? I'm so worried just about the job interview. Just breathe. I really should work out today. I just can't catch a break. Would you love me? Just if try to really relax. Me? I can't just keep breathe. doing this. Just breathe. I just feel so lonely. I'm so worried about the job interview. Why am I so anxious? Just breathe. We are in the fourth week of a series called Headspace, where we're looking at our thoughts and how they affect our um, behavior and ideas about ourselves and God and the world around us. This marching band hat has nothing at all to do with that. But isn't it cool? I mean, marching band is basically the coolest thing you can do in high school. Yes? Yes? Right here. I mean, I feel pretty good in this. We hung out with uh, the marching band, the BNL marching band, Friday night. We, uh, we went down and fed them dinner before the big game. And, and I'm watching those, those band geeks going, these are my people. Why was I not in marching band in high school? I could have worn this thing right here and marched around a field. I'm not athletic at all, but I can march in a straight line. And uh, that would have been perfect for me. But I didn't. Regrets. Life takes us different places, doesn't it? So, uh, so yeah, just thank you to all those who helped make that happen. Rob organized it, then it ended up in, at Mayo, but uh, so far, we're praying for a good, good results on that. We got a thumbs up so far, so good to know. Um, so let's jump in. So in the Headspace story, we have been talking about this idea of recognizing lies that the enemy tells us about ourselves and God and the world, and then replacing them with the truth. And God's truth is found in Scripture, so we dig into Scripture and we learn what truth that truth is and we apply that to the specific Scripture. There's also something that happens that, that, um, that uh, mental health guys will talk about uh, called reframing. And reframing is simply, simply understanding your story from a different perspective and getting, a, and getting a different meaning and a different value from it from what you perhaps normally would think of it as, or naturally think of it as, instead you have a different perspective on it. For Christians, we want to understand the story that is being told in our lives from God's perspective, and so when we talk about reframing, really it's bringing it into alignment with the way God sees our story. So one of my favorite examples of that is found in the book of Genesis. It's a story of Joseph. Now, this is not the Joseph that was married to Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. This is a Joseph that's way, 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 way back. This is the Joseph who maybe you've saw Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat. You know he made a coat of many colors. His dad made a coat of many colors for him. That's the Joseph we're talking about. How many of you guys are somewhat familiar with the story of Joseph? That gives me an idea of how deep I'm going to go into this story. So uh, most of you are familiar with it. So I'm going to give you the highlights of Joseph's story. Joseph was the first son of his dad's second marriage. How many of you guys already sort of relate to some part of Joseph's story? He, he was part of a blended family, you might say. Um, and, and Joseph was not treated fairly by his father. And you might think that that means that his dad treated him badly. But that's not what happened. Joseph was treated probably too well. The scriptures say in Genesis 37.3 that Jacob loved his son Joseph more than all his other children. And that 
is bad news. That's bad for the children who aren't loved as much as the other child, but I'm telling you what, speaking as my parents' favorite child, it's a, it's a big burden to carry. If Pam were here, she'd say, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Here's the deal. When we don't treat our children fairly, it creates family drama. Verse 4 of chapter 37, Genesis says this, that when the brothers saw this, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And the first chance they got to get rid of Joseph, they took it, and they threw him in a pit, and they sold him into slavery. Now, there's no good slavery. No good slavery, because as a slave, you always live at the whim of someone else. And Joseph, thankfully, ended up in a, in a fairly decent place. He served in Potiphar's home, and it sounds like Potiphar was good to him and, and elevated him to a position of influence. But again, he's still not his own person. He still lives at the whim of someone else. And when Potiphar's wife lied about him, Joseph ends up in prison. And prison is a horrible place. But in this amazing verse, this life-changing verse, this impacting verse, Genesis 39, 20 says this, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. Can you just say that with me? While Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. And when the Lord is with you, even if it's in prison, prison can become a platform. And that's what happened. God gave Joseph a platform while he's in prison. He received this amazing opportunity to speak truth to a king. The king was the Pharaoh. It's Egypt. And so the king was Pharaoh. And, and this platform and this chance to have an audience with Pharaoh resulted in Joseph being elevated to this high position, a position of extreme influence, way beyond what he could have ever, ever experienced in Potiphar's household, now he holds the lives of millions of people in his control. And when famine covers the land, Joseph is in a position to save the lives of millions of people, including, you'll find out in the story, the same brothers who traumatized him and threw him in a pit, the ones who betrayed him and sold him into slavery. Now, when Joseph is is reintroduced to these guys. It's been many, many years. He is naturally wary of them. He's not forgotten what happened in his life. So he, um, <laughs> rather than confront them immediately, he does something that makes a movie great. He, he, he adds a little tension to the story by, by posing a few little tests to see if their character has changed at all or if they're still the same people that treated him horribly when he was a child. And so they don't know this, but, but Joseph is, is testing them. And, and at the end of this series of tests, when they, when, they, when they pass the test, Joseph reveals to them who he is. Some of you know this part of the story. When Joseph's brothers discover that it is Joseph who decides whether they live whether their family survives this famine or whether they die, they are terrified. But Joseph's response is amazing. And, and if you want to see Jesus in the Old Testament, then here's a picture of, of Christ. And Joseph isn't Jesus, but Joseph responds in a way that points us to the grace and generosity of God. 
Joseph, instead of vengeance, Joseph responds with grace, and he forgives them. He doesn't just forgive them. He says these words to them. He says, don't grieve or be angry with yourself. Don't grieve or be angry with yourself. In other words, whatever shame and guilt and reproach that you feel right now, Joseph says, I, I, I want to lift that from you. That needs to be removed from your heart and your mind. Release yourself from that prison. Because God is the one who sent me here. You were merely the tools to accomplish his greater and grander purpose. Now, the brothers have a hard time absorbing this and comprehending this. When God says you are forgiven, how many of us go, great! How many of us go, uh, are, are you sure, God? Uh, really? I mean, uh, did, you see, did you see what I did? did are, are you sure? Can you really? Free? I, I don't know, God. I, I got I to gotta really work hard to make sure that God doesn't regret uh, saying he forgives me. And the brothers sort of do this too. So they live in this sort of tension where there's the brother and like, hey, hey yeah, Joseph, good to see you. It's all, it's all sort of laying right here on this level until their dad dies. And when dad dies, sort of the connection, the mediator between these two sides of the family is gone. And the brothers, all of a sudden, all this guilt and fear and shame begin to overwhelm them. And they go to Joseph and they say, oh, uh, please, please. And Joseph says, stop, stop. In the last chapter of Genesis, Genesis 50, verse 20, he says this, guys, you intended to harm me. You can't change that. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Can we just read that scripture together? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph does something that we call reframing, where he doesn't ignore the pain, he doesn't endure, ignore the injustice, he doesn't ignore the trauma, but he is able to now give it a new meaning and a different value by seeing it from a different perspective, specifically God's perspective. And that's, that's as Christians, as believers, that's what we are called to do. We are called to now examine our life, be transformed in our thinking by now seeing our lives aligned with God's goodness and his perfect will. So here's what we do as believers. We no longer interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances, but we interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. That means that when we have a good day and our natural response is to say, oh, God is good because we've had a good day, or or uh, we've had a rough day and go, I think God's really mad at me. I think God's got it in for me. This is, this is horrible. God hates me. No, 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 no. We don't, we don't interpret our circumstances that way anymore. We don't interpret God's goodness via our circumstances. We interpret our circumstances because of God's goodness. And we say, we sang this song last week. We don't know what the day may bring. None of us do. None of us do, but we know who brings the day. And because we know the character of the one who brings the day, whatever the day may bring, we can say, this is the day the Lord has made. So whatever comes, 
we can rejoice and be glad in it because God has brought it to us and God is in it and God is with us. So uh, this is uh, sort of the refaming thing. It's the key to recognizing the lies that the devil pours and sneaks and speaks into our, into our heads and our hearts and replacing it with God's truth. So if you're here today and you're, and you're dealing with stuff that you are um, just consumed by anxious thoughts or worries or just troubles, and you're, you're trying to figure out what this all means, and this is a great morning for you because we're going to give you some tools to, to see it from God's perspective. And when we see it from God's perspective, it changes everything. So let's get pray. Let's get started, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to learn some stuff. Father, we thank you this morning. Um, very few of us have experienced what Joseph has experienced, but I know some of the stories here in our congregation, and I know that there is some deep hurt and some deep pain. There's some trauma from childhood. There's some trauma that people are going through right now that, man, the enemy uses that to tell us things about ourselves and the world and you that is, that's a lie. And so, God, this morning, we pray that we would learn some good ways to make sure that our thoughts are in line with your thoughts and that our understanding and value we place on our experiences is in alignment with your understanding and your value and your meaning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I love about Joseph's story is, is that it speaks to the human condition. It speaks to my condition. Um, you know, the, the, tr the truth is that Joseph's story is a mirror of a lot of the, the human needs and responses that we see playing out all around us. For example, you know, we all have emotional needs. We are born with emotional needs, God-given emotional needs, needs for acceptance and care and independence and support and trust and affection. We all need this. And in a perfect world, the family that we're born into would provide all that for us. And we would be raised in this, in this environment where all of our emotional needs are being met just perfectly. But this may come as a shock to you. We do not live in a perfect world. And there are no perfect families. There are no perfect parents. As a parent, you were not perfect. Your parents were not perfect. And your kids, even though they think they've got this all going on, they're not going to be perfect either because we live in an imperfect world. Joseph's family was imperfect. Imperfect. So in attempting to meet these needs, and I think about those brothers whose needs for acceptance and love were not being met by their father, they respond in a bad way. We do the same thing. When our needs are inevitably not met in a healthy way, we, we will be disappointed, and we respond in disappointing ways. Instead of acceptance, for example, we feel rejection. Can I just go back to seventh grade, Olytic Middle School, uh, dodgeball, and I'm on the bleachers, and there's two other people waiting to be accepted, I'm, and I'm like, God, just please don't let me be the last one. That's all I want. Don't let me be the last one chosen for dodgeball. I'll let you finish that story the way you want to finish it. Instead of acceptance, we feel rejection, don't we? Instead of care, we get neglect. My parents left me one night at church in the pew asleep. They got home and realized that I wasn't there. I mean, that doesn't look good on them. And so these wounds, and that's a funny one, but these wounds lead to beliefs about ourselves that we're not worthy of love, 
that we're not worthy of, of care, we're not valuable enough to take care of. Maybe ideas about God, where God can't love me. If no one else can, how can God love me? If my parents can't take care of me well, then how can God take care of me well? Ideas about the world. Well, the world's a terry, terrifying and lonely and scary place where people can't be trusted. And then these beliefs turn into behaviors. Because we have to have these needs met somehow. And so we find ways to meet these needs. We act out. We, we get involved and addicted to substances that sort of meet the need and mask the pain. We, we get anxious because we don't know how we can ever fully convince people to love us. Or we get isolated because they're like, yeah, you know what, they're just going to fail me. So I'm just going to stay over here in my world, let them deal with their stuff. And when we say, I don't like people... That's not reality. That is your wound speaking. When you say, I don't like people, that's your wound. And all of those are sinful responses. Those are sinful behaviors because they pull us away from God. Now, they satisfy the, the wound need, but they, but they pull us away from God. And, and it's made worse by the fact that Satan loves to use those wounds and our responses to them to guilt us and shame us. And that pulls us even further away from God. And the Bible talks about this in terms of like the law of sin and death. You know, the Bible says that the, the, the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace, but the mind controlled by the flesh is, is death. And that's exactly what happens. We, 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 get, we are on a pathway to destruction. So what is God's response? Well, God's response is not, I'm going to send you all to hell. God says, you're already on the path to hell. I'm going to provide a way for you to get off the path to hell. I'm going to give you a way out. He opens his arms and says to Joseph in prison, I am with you. And he opens his arms to us and say, says, I see what you're going through. I know what you're going through because I'm with you in it. And I say, turn to me. Come to me, God says. Turn to me. He invites you into a relationship with himself. He says, come to me. All you are weary, you're weary. You're heavy-hearted. You're broken-hearted. Come. Come to me and find rest and, and forgiveness. And that burden of, of guilt and that sin, shame that covers and blankets you, let me take that. Like Joseph said, don't live in that. I don't want you to live there. In fact, I want to take that, and I'm going to put it on myself, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to destroy it once and for all. And many of us say, I want that, and we say the sinner's prayer. We accept Jesus. We're baptized. We go, good. My sins are forgiven. I'm ready to face the world. And then something happens, and all of a sudden, we feel shame. And we feel guilt. And we go, wait. I did what the preacher said. And nothing has really changed. It's because we only know half the story. The fact that God forgives us is amazing. But he's doing something more than just forgiving us. He is redeeming us. He is transforming us. He is changing us from this to this new thing that he's created. And, and he's creating this 
for our benefit. He's using us to do it, and we are the beneficiaries of it. This thing that he's creating is called the church, his bride. This new thing God's doing, and many of us skip this part. Many of us think the church is just something we do on Sunday just to sort of show God that we're still in it with him. But the church is God's mo primary mode of transformation in our lives. It's you and us together. All of us with our own little individual weird wounds and our own individual crazy behavioral responses to it, messed up behavioral responses to it, our, our messed up emotions and beliefs about God. And, and he brings us all into this place. And, we, and, and you may look around and go, oh, you know, Susan Gales, I mean, she's a bank manager. She's got her life together. Susan Gales does not have her life together. She's a hot mess. No. <laughs> Here's the truth. I'm picking on Susan. Susan, she's got a lot going on. But here's the deal. Susan deals with the same wounds and, and behavior responses and beliefs that all the rest of us do. None of us are unique. Don't think you're the, you're the real cool kid because you've got all the weird stuff going on. We've all got weird stuff going on. We're all the band geeks. We're all band geeks, all right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Paul says, listen, I'm going to celebrate that. The fact that God can take all our stuff and he brings us into this place, and we look around and go, hey, I'm not the only hot mess here. I'm surrounded by people who are a mess. But here's what's happening. All of us are united in the fact that we've said yes to God's grace. And in the context of this community, God is doing something new where I bring my story to the table, and I say, hey, here's, here's what's going on in my life. And, and I tell my perspective of it. And what happens? Someone comes over and says, hey, well, that's really interesting. Um, have you ever thought about God maybe doing this in your life? And you go, no, no, I hadn't ever really thought of that. What do you mean? He goes, well, here's what God did in my life, and here's what I've seen. And together we begin to reframe our own stories. The Holy Spirit in us prompts us to respond to people and their emotional needs, and God, in his goodness and his grace and his mercy, begins to heal us. Oh, man, I spent a long time on this. This Sunday is going to go long, so just settle in, just relax. It's going to be all right. This time, instead of our story being told with like this guilt and shame, it's like, I can't believe I'm telling you this. Now we tell our story with like, okay, here's what's going on in my life. What is God teaching me through this? What is God trying to instruct me on? What am I learning and healing and growing from in my story? And if that seems like an impossible place to be in your life right now, then we're going to look at a few key ways that God teaches us where we learn how to know our story and align it with God's truth and God's goodness. So the first one is this. We talked about it. Leaning in and learning to love God's family. Learning the value of God's family. Because it's really hard to reframe our story on our own. Our embedded wounds, those deep, deep beliefs. We talked about cow paths last week. These cow paths that just get deeper and deeper and deeper. These embedded beliefs have dug so deep, such deep trenches in our perception that on our own, we give up too easy. We're like, okay, well, nothing's changed. I'm going back. We need people around us to say, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. No, no, you're not going back. You're going to keep going. Because we can be stubborn. It is the human nature. I used to think it was like this southern Indiana farmer mentality. We can grow our food and we eat our food and we take care of ourselves. But it's a human condition. 
It's a human condition to want to just do it on your own. We resist community. Why? Because God designed us for community. And in our broken state, we reject anything God wants good for us. We say, uh, 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 this is the lie the enemy tells us. And so we, we say, I don't need church. Church is for those who really need it. Me and God, we're just going to go deep and go strong underneath a tree out in the woods. Underneath the tree in the woods is a beautiful place to be. But you don't, incur, you don't build your community. You don't reframe your story. You don't grow and heal underneath a tree in the woods. Can anyone say amen to that? The family of God is the place where we encourage and are encouraged by others to live the fullness of life God has intended for us. In the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to the believers there, he says, here's what you do when you come together. You comfort the frightened. You help the weak. You be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil. Don't be vindictive, but always seek to do good for one another. How often do we do good for one another? Always. Always do good to one another. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, and this is the picture of a healthy family that responds to those God-given needs. And it doesn't have to be large, small one. We're a small congregation here. God can meet your needs here within the context of this small family. One of the even smaller families, a literal family. There's a story of Corey and uh, Betsy Ten Boom. They were Dutch sisters during World War II. They protected and hid Jewish uh, Jews from the Nazis, and they were captured. They were caught and captured and put in a concentration camp. And when they got there, they were thrown into a scenario like this. Just, you've, you've seen the pictures. I don't have to describe it to you. Filthy, horrible, horrible. As they walk in, they sit down, something bites Corey. It's a flea. She goes, oh, Betsy, on top of everything else, there's fleas. What are we going to do? Betsy says, listen, in the scripture this morning, <laughs> it reminded us to give thanks for everything. So we're going to give thanks. Oh, Oh, Betsy, what are we going to give thanks for? Well, we're going to give thanks that we're together. We weren't separated. We're in this concentration camp together. And, Corey, you were able to sneak your Bible in. They searched you, and they didn't find your Bible. We have a Bible with us. And so we can, we can, we can grow in our faith and read the scriptures together. And Corey says, well, what about the fleas? And she goes, the Bible says to give thanks for everything. We're going to give thanks for the fleas. So they did that. Several weeks went by. Betsy was in very poor health. She was in her 50s by that time. But she had Corey's Bible, and she was assigned to just stay in the barracks and knit socks. She was not strong enough to go out, but she could knit, so they kept her there in the barracks with the other weak and infirm people, and, and, and they formed a little community there. And, and during that time, you know, Betsy was able to read Scripture and encourage other people around her. Um, and then one day, several weeks later, uh, Corey comes in, and Betsy's got this big smile on her face. She goes, what, why, why are you smiling? And she goes, you know, today we had a question about the socks. And so we, we yelled to one of the guards who was over there to come and answer the question about the socks. And the guard said, no, 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 I'm not coming near that place. Corey says, why not? Betsy said, because this place is infested with fleas. We've had all this freedom to share our faith, to read scripture together, to worship here in this place because of the fleas. 
So thank God for the fleas. Now, without her sister, Corey would not have been able to give thanks for the fleas. She would have missed an amazing opportunity to reframe that troublesome flea into a blessing from God. We need each other. We need each other to remind us that sometimes fleas are the blessing of God. Joseph didn't have the benefit of family there in prison. He didn't have the benefit of Christians who could support him while he was there in his prison cell. But we do. God has given us to each other, and we're together for a reason, to encourage one another. So our men's groups, our women's groups, we're going to be offering sort of a peer-to-peer support training so that you, with your issues and your history and your experience, can encourage someone else who may be going through something similar. We want to be a place where people who are going through stuff can get the help they need. We've got, we've got licensed and trained Christian therapists and counselors who are part of this family that God is creating, and I would love to introduce them to you. If you need a counselor or a therapist, I know I can hook you up. We all have people in our lives who have been a support and encouragement for us when we've been going through difficult seasons. Can we just take about 30 seconds and just close your eyes and think of that person, you know who they are, and just give God thanks for them right now. Lord, I thank you for my friends, Shakas and Dalian, who were with me in Reno, and we were together in a difficult place, but you sent them to me to be an encouragement to me, to lift me up and to provide family for me when no one were around. I thank you for them. Amen. So we lean into the value of the church. We learn a second lesson. We learn to pause and reflect. I was talking to Claudia about this this week. This idea of pause is so important. We see it in Joseph's life. So before Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, the scripture gives us some insight into his response. He sees his brothers. All this rush of emotion comes back on him. And what does he do? Does he respond right then? No. He takes a pause. The scripture says in in Genesis chapter 43 that Joseph went into his chamber and he wept. He wept. He paused. And it gave him time to process between a stimulus, meeting someone who has wronged you, and your response, whatever that's going to be, there's a space right here. We'll call it X. If this was an algebraic equation, there's an X. And in that X, it could be five milliseconds, five seconds, five minutes, five hours, five days, five weeks, five months, five years. I don't know, but in that space... We pause and we say, God, how do you want me to process and respond to this? And in that pause, it gives us time for that that immediate reaction to move up here in this part of our brain. We're able able to think more clearly and calmly. It gives our our blood pressure a chance just to calm and our breathing to, to regulate. And we go, okay, okay, this is not going to destroy me. It's going to be okay. And in that pause, I believe God did something important in Joseph's life. He wept. What did he weep for? He was seeing his little brother for the first time in years. That had to be an emotional moment. He was seeing these brothers who had tormented and traumatized him as a child. That had to be an emotional moment. That would cause me to weep, I believe. But I think when Joseph 
takes that time to pause, God allows him to reflect on his life and, and to see something that maybe Joseph was really getting a clear, clear grasp on right there in that moment. And, and Joseph is looking at his, where he's at right now. He says, I am in a position to provide food for millions of people and my family. And I'm only in this position to provide provision because I know Pharaoh. I know Pharaoh. And I only know Pharaoh because I was, I was given an opportunity, a, a platform to speak to him a while back ago when I was in prison. And I was in prison because Potiphar's wife lied about me, and that was bad. But, but, but Potiphar, Pot, that was a blessing in my life right then. I landed in a, in a good place. I'm very thankful for that. But I was only on there, I was only in Potiphar's house because, because my brothers threw me in a pit. Can we move forward in the story? Yeah, my brothers threw me in a pit. But that pit gave me an opportunity to meet a guy named Potiphar who saw something in me, invested in me, taught me some good lessons about leadership and authority and how to, how to manage things well. Now, his wife lied about me, and I ended up in prison. But in prison, man, it was tough. But I got I to testify to God's goodness there. And God gave me a platform to speak to Pharaoh. And when I spoke to Pharaoh, Pharaoh gave me an opportunity to step into a position where I was going to be able to be a provider for millions of people, including my family. And when you think about the story that God told through Joseph's life, and when Joseph thought about that and the thread of God's goodness that was woven through that whole story, he weeps. He's humbled by it. He's amazed by it. And he weeps. He sees the God-sized plan that, that was emerging through the course of his life. And it changes his response. And so reframing never ignores the wound, but it transforms the response Joseph goes back to him and said, yes, what you did to me was wrong. You intended it for evil, but from where I now stand, I can see how God used even your wrong to affect God's ultimate right. And I understand this in such a new and miraculous way that I can easily forgive you. The pause gave him time to recognize that though the wound is deep, it's not the full or the final story. God is always doing more than we can imagine. Pausing allows us to get a glimpse of what God is doing even in our pain. So I know that some of you have experienced a lot of pain and some of you are in the middle of a very painful situation right now. So we're just going to take another 30 seconds and just, just ask God to show you where he is present right now in that moment. Where is his goodness shining, even if it's small. Where is his goodness shining? And give thanks for him. Thanks for that goodness right now. God, I, I think about Kathy Fulkerson going through some stuff right now, but but she's 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 got people around her who are praying for her. What a what a wonderful thing. I think about other people in our 
in our church who have stuff going on, but you have given them your presence through flesh and blood people. Encouraging them, supporting them, lifting them up. That's your, that's your goodness shining even in the midst of difficult stuff. So I thank you for that. God, whatever circumstances these folks out here are enduring right now, God, I pray that, that they would see your goodness shining right there in the middle of it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we, we embrace God's family. We pause and reflect on God's goodness, and then we give thanks. You know, the, the thing that, that, that we need to learn to do better at is just being grateful. We need to learn to be grateful. Grateful for things that God does. I mean, it's, and that's sort of easy, isn't it? I got the job. The cancer is gone. Yay, God. It's maybe a little more challenging to thank him for things that, that don't happen. So um, I got a chance to share this story yesterday with some guys. You know, when I, when I was in Reno, and if you were here last week, you, t- you heard about some of that. I prayed that the church in Reno would prosper and that I would prosper. I'd be able to go full time. But that didn't happen. The church didn't prosper and I, and I didn't prosper. Instead, it struggled and I struggled. And when I was given the chance to come back to Indiana, even my boss said, Tim, you better take it. And so I came back to Indiana. My parents were thrilled. My family was thrilled. I felt like a failure. My tail was between my legs, the thing that I thought was going to be a success. And I went out there with full faith and confidence that God was going to do something amazing. It didn't happen. It was a defeat. But, but, but when I stand here, I can look back and go, God, I thank you that the prayers that I prayed that you would prosper me and prosper that place, I, I'm thankful that you didn't answer that prayer. Because I, I wouldn't be standing here if you'd answered that prayer back there. Your, your no then was preparing me for a, a bigger yes now. And if that seems sort of like pie in the sky and wishful thinking, I understand. It's hard maybe to see that. But I'm telling you, it's true. God's faithfulness and goodness to us is so, so resolute. <laughs> And so evident in my life that now I can look back and even look ahead to the future and go, I know I, know I can trust God with the future because, because I've seen how he's been so faithful in the past. And that's come from walking with God for 40 plus years. So if, you, if you're not there yet, give yourself some time. It takes time. I was, I'd been a Christian 30 years when I'm like, God, please, why aren't you answering these prayers? It takes time. But we're in it for the long haul, not the short sprint. This is, a, this is a marathon race we're running to the finish line, and we stick with it. We stick faithfully to God because God says, if you do, you're going to see my goodness run all the way through your life. There's a country song titled, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. You, you guys may know it. Who sings that? Who? Garth Brooks? Garth Brooks. And, and so the story is this. He, he runs into an old girlfriend. He and his wife, I guess, are at a ball game and watching their, watching their kid play trombone in the marching band. And, uh, and he runs into an old girlfriend. So he's talking there with his wife and this girl. And he remembers. He remembers being an adolescent. And the, and the song goes like this. If he had only grant me this wish, I wish back then that I'd have I never would have asked for anything again. We get that, don't we? When we're praying desperately for something. God, if you'll just do this. I'll never ask you for anything else. 
But as he's standing there talking to her, he realized that ah, we've changed. He says, we tried to talk about the old days, but there wasn't that much we could recall. I guess the Lord knows what he's doing after all. The chorus goes, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. That just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Isaiah chapter 55, 9, God says this. He says, my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So I'm going to need you to trust me. You know, as a parent, you know, kids, trust me. I know more than you do. And God says, kids, trust me. I know more than you do. Trust me. Faithfully follow. Trust Jesus. We'll discover God's goodness in what even didn't happen. This morning, let's take 30 seconds just to thank God for a prayer that wasn't answered. God, if you had answered that prayer back then, I wouldn't be here. And I love being here. So thank you for not answering that prayer back then. Learning to love God's family, learning to pause and reflect, and learning to give thanks for everything is a recipe for seeing your story from God's perspective, for reframing. We're going to take communion here in just a second, so if you're going to help with that, go ahead and, go ahead and get ready. Talk As we talk about Paul, Paul's whole ministry goal towards the end of his life was to get to Rome. As a missionary, he was investing in leaders, and leaders would go off, and, and, and many of them went to Rome, where a church was established. Rome was the center of the world, the biggest place, and Paul knew, man, if I can just get there, if God can get me there, and God can use this dynamic gift that he's given me to evangelize and preach and raise up leaders, then the church is going to explode when I get there. God says, okay, I'll take you to Rome. But, uh, but don't be surprised if you get there a different route than what you wanted. Instead of arriving in Rome with, with Christians arriving at the port, just cheering and greeting him, welcome to Rome, Paul. Instead, Paul arrives in Rome between two soldiers, and he's in chains. And he gets thrown into a prison where he's in chains. And, and he's there, and he's like, okay, God, I'm in Rome. Now what? So what ends up happening is Paul faithfully trusts God, and he faithfully follows Jesus. And every chance he gets, he tells the story of Jesus to these soldiers that come and guard him on his right and his left. And when the, when the guard change happens, well, then he tells the next soldiers what God has done in his life and why he's here in Rome. And, and he eventually writes this letter to the Philippians. And here's what he says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, because they take the news to other places, that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters in the church, have become more confident in the Lord. Not less confident, 
And they dare all the more. They're not hiding and they're not cowering away. Instead, their, their boldness is increasing. They become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Yes, Paul says, sure, I'm in chains. But here's the deal. Every time there's a change in the guard, I get to I get a, I get a testify to God's goodness. I get to share the gospel. And despite me not being there to, to preach, which, I mean, you can't imagine that the church would, would even survive without the preacher. <laughs> Paul says, despite the fact that I'm not even there, the church is growing stronger and stronger and stronger because God's presence is there with them and God is moving and working among them and using them to strengthen the church. Verse 19, he says, it all adds up to my confidence that what has happened to me will turn out for good. My plans, yeah, they were great plans. But my plans are not God's plans. His plans are bigger than my plans. And if God chooses to do it different, then that's the best plan. So that's my confidence, too. Whether God leads me through the valley of the shadow of death, and there are people in our congregation right now who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Whether God leads us through the valley of the shadow of death or elevates us to positions of power and influence, the truth is, David says, surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. All the days of my life. And I can look back to the beginning when I got thrown in the pit, and I can look to the day now where I'm standing up and I'm feeding millions and say, the goodness of God followed me all the days of my life. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. And with every breath I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. That is our testimony. So today, Lord, as we take the bread and we take the cup, we reflect on your goodness to us, goodness demonstrated by Jesus as he joyfully took on our sin and the sin guilt that we carried and the shame and destroyed that power by his death and his resurrection. And when we accept him, we accept now this new story that he's telling in his life. His resurrection points to this fact that you're doing a new thing in us and through us and among us that doesn't ignore our past, but now aligns it and retells it in the context of the goodness and grace of God. So we want to trust and follow you. So we thank you that you did not abandon us, you did not leave us in the pit or the prison, but you were with us even in our worst moments. And so we, so we take that bread, the bread that, that, that you broke, signifying, signifying your body broken, I believe, your body given for us. The fact that you're acquainted with our griefs, the fact that you're acquainted with our griefs because you are with us in our griefs. You know them more intimately than we do. The bread reminds me of that. And the cup, called the cup of promise, that reminds me that you're with me even now, even still. You continually call me to you. So I thank you for the salvation, the forgiveness, and the freedom, and the life and the new hope that we find in you, the new story that is being told in you. God, I thank you that you're working. Even, even now, you are changing those lies and aligning them with your truth. There are real significant burdens that people are, are dealing with right now, real significant trauma that people feel, wounds that are still oozing. In the midst of all that, I pray that they would experience your grace, your sufficient grace, your all-sufficient grace, your all-sustaining grace, and your strength that carries us and your spirit that comforts us and encourages us and emboldens us. Help us to see you even when we're hurting and help us to be obedient even when we're hurting. Give us the power and the strength 
to see your goodness, to sense your presence, and to do your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.